1: Their aim is to educate and entertain. Here's Scott and Jess.
0: Hey guys, welcome. A little fun fact for you. This is actually our first podcast of 2020. Some of them are pre-recorded sometimes, so really? we're super excited to get started in the new year.
1: Yeah, well, I guess I'm here. We'll we to do, do it again.
0: We had quite a break off, so we're excited to be back. Uh, we're going to start with the quirky tip of the day as always.
1: Yes, uh, and the quirky tip of the day is sponsored by Pawmark. .com. That's where we get all of our equipment, uh, collars, things like that. Oh, hang on. Tip of the day. And the tip is the Star Star Mark collar. And this is a plastic um, training collar. I don't know if you guys can see that. Can you see that okay, Ed? I don't know if we can zoom we, in on that. We we can do anything. Yeah, see what you can do. But it's a great alternative to the conventional metal pinch collar, which can be a bit harsh for many dogs. And uh, what I would do when I'm training is, if I was gonna go this direction with my training, I would always start with the StarMark plastic pinch collar first, before going to something a little more aggressive like a metal pinch collar. So the StarMark collar, and they're becoming so popular now that you can find them in your big box pet stores like uh, Petco or What's the other one there? PetSmart. PetSmart, that kind of stuff.
0: One one caveat with those is they come with a little slip collar. We've um, shown you those in other podcasts that we use as a backup collar. And if you wonder what that's for, it's because these are made of plastic. So if the dog lunges or something, the plastic could pop open or you potentially could um, not hook it correctly. So the little slip collar is there just as a backup collar and you want to clip the leash to both. And another thing about these, which is funny, is they used to be super hard to clip the plastic links on and off like especially for older women with carpal tunnel or something so Scott actually wrote the company and they put in this little bolt snap and that was his little added invention and now they're all sold that way so good job honey.
1: Yeah one thing about the slip collar for some reason they don't explain what the slip collar is for on the package so everybody throws them away because it doesn't make any sense you just got this strip with two rings on either end of it so Anyway, that's about it. It's a nice tool and uh, very inexpensive. It's about a you know 10 to $15 item.
0: Yeah. All right. So what is balance training? Well, first of all- What's um, the name of this podcast? What are the evils of balance training? Oh,
1: I'm getting uncomfortable.
0: Yeah. It's like going back to a Halloween horror episode. So balance training is when you use reward-based techniques, but you're also combining aversive consequences. Um, and it's a big buzz topic. And Everybody says positive reinforcement is the only way to go. You can only train with food. Don't ever do anything to the dog that's aversive. But what really are the facts of the matter here? So we are here today to tell you guys all about that.
1: Well, why don't you tell us about it?
0: Well, What um, is an
1: aversive consequence? What do you mean by that, first of
0: all? When you're applying um, pain or pressure to the dog. So there's one thing like uh, some positive trainers would say, If the dog doesn't do something and you put the dog in a crate, that's an aversive. A lot of positive trainers just see that as giving the dog a consequence. So usually balance training has to do with either popping the leash on a martingale collar or using tools like pinch collars, knee collars, and everything else. And it's kind of a common sense approach to dog training in a sense. It's similar to child rearing. Like we don't always just let the kids do whatever they want.
1: No, I use a pinch collar on my kid. Yeah, it worked (laughs) fine. I mean, (laughs) it pretty balanced. No, he didn't really,
0: but there are consequences in life, guys. We we always said to clients, if you go to work and you don't get paid, you're not going to keep going to work. If you don't go to work, you're going to get fired. So there's going to be a consequence there. And at the end of the day, all trainers and all dog owners used to train with a choke collar and a leash way back in the day. And the dogs were way better behaved. Um, And before you think that we're just going crazy balance training. And it's the only option positive training works as well. And after the break today, we're going to get into what that means and how that actually works, because there is this fallacy out there that positive training is absolute BS. And a lot of times the way that it's shown and the people that are demonstrating it, it does seem like that, but it's not that positive training doesn't work. It's that, can we actually get the dogs to listen that have had reps and years of doing bad things?
1: Yeah. I mean, there's, there's bad positive trainers and there's bad balance trainers. So uh, it's easy if you're on, you know, taking a position from one side or the other to just point out the worst of the opposing view. But the reality is, there's great trainers that are not implementing any physical corrections, and there's great trainers that are using e-collars that are able to do amazing things with dogs.
0: And really, I think the fact of the matter is, if you have a rescue dog, let's say, that you got at when it was three years old, we don't know its history, and now it's had another two years of reps of running away, running out of the house, chasing squirrels, and everything else. It is very difficult to get that dog to be hiking off leash by just using food and um, good reps of recalls and everything else. It's very hard to backtrack the history that that dog has gone through, and that's why a lot of people look out for balance training and consider balance training and they actually see good results with it because you can get a lot accomplished in a short amount of time. And we're not saying that the dogs need to be screaming and peeing themselves and everything else. There are some balance trainers that are More harsh than they need to be. That's not the point of it. But you actually want to see some results with training. If you're going to classes, you know, upon classes, upon session, upon session, you've been training for two years and you can't even have your dog walk next to you on a loose leash, that's an issue. And that's a lot of time and money that's been spent on that. One thing that I really like um, is when Scott would work with an e-collar and with all these tools, is he gave a lot of leash direction. So this new wave of e-collar training has kind of gone into, you just use the e-collar and you communicate everything with the e-collar. But it's really nice if you can teach the dog to do things through the leash and then the e-collar is just an enhancement. Now, granted, pet owners aren't going to be able to use the leash as well as Scott did, but it gives another layer and another layer of understanding to the dogs. And you're not just relying on the e-collar. You don't want, if the e-collar is not on, the dog doesn't listen. If the pinch collar is not on and the Uh, leash is just attached to a flat collar. The dog doesn't listen. You want the dog to listen under all circumstances. And that's a really important part of any training.
1: Yeah. When I was training, I, I would do, you know, whatever worked for that dog and that owner at that time. And, um, I didn't have a methodology that I felt I needed to prove to everybody. And sometimes there, you know, there are some trainers out there that if they're on the positive bandwagon, Uh, they're on such a crusade to prove that their methodology works that they're not open to anything else. And it's the same thing with, I've seen a lot of e-collar trainers that they're on such a crusade to prove that the e-collar works for all dogs, that they'll force dogs through situations that don't respond well to e-collars. And uh, I've had many dogs that over the years that did not respond well to an e-collar and uh, they are far and few between, but there are dogs that even on the absolute lowest level, um, on a very good collar, they respond adversely. And it could be because they were, had a lot of experience on an invisible fence. They already have a preconceived um, notion notion about electronics and that type of stimulation. And uh, I'd have no problem just, you know, let's not use this. The dog doesn't, is not comfortable with it. If it was really, you know, not responding well and just move on because there's, there's so many different ways, uh, methods of training a dog that you shouldn't have to rely solely on one method to make your point or you're limiting yourself. That's all.
0: And the one nice thing about a remote, especially if you're looking at a boarding train kind of program is it's very transferable from the trainer to the owner. So you can say, Hey, I'm tapping the button on 40 when I'm telling the dog to go to the bed and then the owner can do that as well. As well, leash direction takes years and years and years in practice. I um, am a pretty talented trainer. I've been working with dogs since a very young age, of like seven years old. And I would say it took me about three years of training with Scott before I was like, "Oh wow, I just used the leash exactly how he used it." Like I felt it, I saw it transfer to the dog. I It was, it took me that long to see those mechanics day in, day out, and then be able to replicate that. So for someone that has no experience working with dogs, it's really hard to get those leash mechanics straight. And this balance training stuff, a lot of people are still using food, you guys. Like we want to reward the dog for the good thing. You want the dog to be happy and wagging its tail. We're trying to get the best out of the dog. Back in the day when it was just the choke collar and the leash, they weren't even using food back then. Like we still want to reward the dog for good behavior and get the dog excited about stuff, but then the food can also um, be an issue too. It can kind of counter, be counterproductive in training.
1: Yeah, and if the dog is not food motivated and you're only using food and, you know, a clicker, for example, for your training methodology, you're really stuck. You're at an impasse where you need to either start not feeding the dog at all unless you're actually training. Or there's just not much you can do. You can try and get creative, uh, reward the dog through the environment. Maybe if it likes a toy, maybe I've had some trainers tell me that the dog loves to mark. That's their favorite thing to do is to do this marking behavior. So that becomes the reward for the dog. But that's why the I think the electronic training has become so popular because you can get just about any dog to respond the way you want them to respond within just a few sessions. And a lot of dog owners have no interest in becoming trainers. And I understand that we get dogs for the companionship, not because we have a passion for dog training. So if you have a dog that's running away and you want the dog to come and an e-collar trainer says, I can make that happen for you in three classes, three or four classes. Of course, it's a, you know, it's a realistic alternative to spending weeks, months, if not years, trying to get a dog to do it without any type of consequence and getting them off leash
0: or never taking the dog off leash again. And, um, the thing about going back to the food and dogs that maybe don't have a really big appetite or something, some dogs are very environmental in new places also. So they're not going to eat just because they're away from home or they don't eat, you know, if the bowl isn't, uh, you know, dish instead of a metal bowl. Like it's very particular the way that dogs have been conditioned and the owners have allowed them to act. And food also for a dog that's really excited can be an issue. If you have a really drivey lab and they're just jumping up to get the food. And as you reach for the food, now they're breaking their sit when they're next to you and everything else. Sometimes it's more of a curse than a benefit. So it just depends. But What we want and what you should want for your dogs is to see your dog complying, doing a behavior, getting rewarded for the behavior and being very clear about the expectations. You want to be able to walk up to the bed. And praise the dog. If the dog got off the bed and you go to put them back on, you want them to realize, oh, I've failed here. And that's why I'm getting put back on the bed. And with that said, you guys, I do not train my own personal dogs with tools. I do not use pinch collars. I do not use e-collars. I have a very, very, very good recall on one of my border collies. And I have a decent recall on my other border collie. And the caveat there is I'm not sure how she is around small creatures. I mean, I can have her loose in the yard with me and stuff, but...
1: we'll use food. Food a- is your tool.
0: Yeah. But I'm not using balanced training tools just to say, so it's yeah. not that I'm trying, we're trying to sit here and like, this is the way to do it. And this is what we believe. And this is what has to happen. Everybody can be on their own journey, but I'm fanatical and not everybody can be fanatical. So you have to do what works best for you and your home and your dog. And these people that are going to impart their knowledge and their belief systems, and sometimes even the vets are telling you what's right and what's wrong you do what's right for you. And if you don't feel comfortable about something, that's fine. Maybe that isn't right for you either, but listen to what your gut is telling you and listen to the results that you're seeing with your dog. Because at the end of the day, we just need to have freaking control over our dogs. That's the issue. That's why dogs are going into shelters. That's why dogs are getting hit by cars. That's why dogs are biting the mailman. No one has control over their dog. So you have to figure out a method to control your dog. And if that comes through a balance trainer and a balance trainer who uses tools, that's fine. Don't go home and beat yourself up about that.
1: Yeah, and also, if you really care about your dog and you care about training and you want to do the right thing, uh, the first thing I would do is um, pick up that book, Rough Love, off Amazon by Susan Garrett. Yeah. We talk about being not being permissive, and uh, that's one of the biggest problems a lot of people have is they're just simply being too permissive, and that could be out of ignorance, just not knowing what to do, so they do nothing, which is worse than doing the wrong thing. Quite often, it's better to stop a behavior through any means possible then stand there and say geez what do i do the dog is lifting his leg on my couch for example you know yeah
0: or the dog is growling at my kid i don't know what to do so positive is not permissive and that's a quote right on the title of rough love so after the break we are going to talk about why positive training does work and some more about balance training and we'll catch up with you guys then
1: Does your dog seem anxious? Would you like your dog to relax? Do you want to feel more in control? Would you like your dog to cooperate? HowToCalmyourCanine.com That's HowToCalmyourCanine.com
0: All right, guys, we are back. So positive training, the people that tell you positive training is complete BS and doesn't work are not right. That is the bottom line. Positive training, absolutely 100% does work. Just like I said, I've done a lot with my dogs over the years. The issue with positive training, really setting a dog up for success and really being reliable into a dog's future is you are controlling that dog's environment More than any pet dog owner is willing to control the dog. And I'm not talking about just for a training session. I'm talking about for eight months to a year of that dog's life. Most pet owners have a hard time controlling their dog's environment for an hour. And I'm not meaning to sound judgmental. I'm coming from a place of experience here and we see it time and time again. So the way that that works, you get a really nicely bred young puppy and you are teaching the dog from the ground up what foundationally you want from that dog how to come away from distraction if the dog doesn't come away from distraction all of the fun stuff that it was heading towards just automatically disappears it can't be chasing a deer in the woods and then you call it and it doesn't come and then that deer keeps running and it keeps rewarding itself you want that dog to think okay if my dad is calling me away from an open palm of food and if I don't come that hand is just going to close there's going to be no opportunity for me to even eat that food so my best bet is to turn around and run as quickly as possible back to my dad and you don't need to put a pinch collar on a dog to be successful in competitive obedience. You don't need to put an e-collar on a dog to have a hundred percent reliable recall. You don't need to have these things. The problem is, is people do not want to spend the time and take the steps to make that happen. And that's okay. Who are we to judge? I always say, it's funny. Um, You know, the police and military dogs walk around with equipment on all the time. E-collars, pinch collars, everything else. And we hold them in such high reverence. We're like, oh, look at that dog. That dog is a working dog. That dog is serving us. That's so awesome. Nobody gives them shit that they have a pinch collar on. And that's how those dogs are trained. Same thing goes for service dogs. How frequently do you see a service dog with a pinch collar on or something in the airport? That's how they're trained. We had a dog a few years ago when Delta um, went purely positive. That's a service dog program. And this boy had muscular dystrophy and he got this dog specifically to help him. It was a younger lab. It came in on a front attach harness and the dog didn't do anything. It was really pathetic. It was really upsetting. Yeah, he was,
1: he was uh, in a wheelchair and he needed a dog to pick a remote up off the ground, for example. And th- the situation was they were donating the dog to the child, but the family had to fly down to Maryland and spend, I think the better part of two or three weeks there working with the dog and getting to know the dog before they get to take the dog home. So they invested several thousand, I think it was about 5,000 bucks in their time and hotel and all this stuff. And when they got the dog home, the dog just wasn't uh, performing. So they brought the dog to us and said, hey, the dog, you know, doesn't do this, doesn't do that. And, uh you know, it was like, it was like starting from scratch. And the The dog dog didn't didn't do anything. And it
0: wasn't even that it wasn't performing. It was that the boy who's in the wheelchair that's motorized now, and he's trying to deal with his own stuff and he's trying to go to school would have to like hold a touch stick up and say like, Hey, come on, turn on the light for me. That boy didn't need to be that dog's trainer. And I'm not saying that all service dog programs have to use compulsion. And some of them use gentle leaders with great success. And I'm not saying that's the only way that it can work, but For that particular time when Delta went from balance training to purely positive training, that specific dog was an issue. It was being reactive out the windows to dogs and people passing by. And we evaluated the dog and we're like, well, yeah, the dog has some ball drive. Like, that's good. You know, you could maybe get a retrieve that way. And they weren't going to spend any more money. They'd already spent a lot of money on going down and getting this dog. And while they didn't pay for that dog, There are a lot of donations over the years, thousands and thousands and tens of thousands of dollars being donated to this organization by other people that are trying to help get legitimate service dogs into homes for people who need them, just like this boy was supposed to do with the lab. So you really have to look at all different um, sides of it. And it's funny how many people want to just like shit their pants for the lack of a better phrase over e-collars, but they will put an invisible fence up in two seconds. Like if it's going to make their property look, you know, less appealing street side, they will get an invisible fence company out there in two seconds, get those flags out there and not think twice about it. And that is so much more harsh than what is happening with a lot of these like balanced training type of programs. When people are teaching a dog to come with a knee collar. I mean, that is a high stimulation. That's what Scott was referring to earlier. The biggest fallout you would see in the business is a dog that had already been on an invisible fence and had such a st- yeah, strong negative, aversion yeah. to it. Like, oh my gosh, this feeling, because that is purely aversive training. It's like a uh, rattlesnake avoidance training. You're there, you get hit really high. That's what it is. It's purely avoidance training. You want the dog to avoid those flags. So, you know, we're all, we're all in really strong camps. And then when it comes down to it, people are really uh, wishy-washy with the invisible fence stuff, and it's the same freaking thing. It's just the well, remote isn't in your hand.
1: Yeah, people feel like if the dog does it to themselves, it's on them. It's your fault. Just don't go by the edge of the property. But if they have to push the button, now they feel like they are hurting their dog, and nobody wants to hurt their dog, including us. We don't want to hurt the dog either. I just know that uh, if you get some good training into a dog, they can get a tremendous amount of freedom, and that's the the benefit of having a trained dog.
0: Yeah, and training... Um, with tools properly in balanced training is that you're not needing to take the dog out on a pinch collar to go out in public. The dog will now be listening on any leash. You don't need an e-collar to have the dog off leash. The dog can listen if it doesn't have the e-collar on. Like you don't want the dog to become equipment wise either. And if you are going to use these types of tools, especially e-collars, please work with a trainer who is versed and knowledgeable about that tool. Because so often people will go out and buy a $40 e-collar at PetSmart and those really are not yeah, ethical. They, I mean, they yeah, they only have
1: an on and off switch. Yeah, so. literally
0: like it's <laughs> either like zero or 150. And we know because Scott puts everything on his arm and he'll test stuff and everything else. And it's really unfair if you're just trying to You know, simply give a dog a little bit of direction and now all of a sudden you're lighting them up like it's the invisible fence and they're crossing the flag. So be, be mindful of these things. Just because we're saying, oh, balance training works, that doesn't mean it's something that you should go do on your own. And if you're going to use an e-collar, if you're spending less than $150 on the e-collar, unless it's a used e-collar that, you know, was reconditioned or something and you know somebody getting rid of it, you're probably not purchasing the correct collar. You want to be very careful with the equipment you use because it's important and it can be harmful to the dog in the sense that they don't know why all of a sudden they're getting zapped on, you know, a hundred to get into a crate when you're just trying to overlay it with something they already know. So be conscious of those things.
1: Yeah. I mean, and that being said, even you're talking about e-collars and pinch collars. I mean, uh, a, a decent dog trainer can train a dog on just a flat collar. To oh, percent. I've had so many dogs come in that the first thing I would do is work with them just on their flat collar, get a feel for the dog. A lot of them are sensitive and uh, they would work with me very well on a flat collar. And there are some dogs that you can go from a flat collar to a pinch collar to an e-collar. And they are so uh, pain tolerant as well as having a hard time focusing. They may have all kinds of issues going on. You could have like a lab comes to mind. where they're, That's what makes them such great uh, dogs for children is that that pain tolerance allows children to hang off their ears and step on their feet and they're fine with it. You know, my, the first dog that I got from my family was an English Mastiff. And she was just an incredible dog. The only way she'd hurt a kid is with her tail. She'd be whipping the tail around and slapping it into the side of the kids or something. But she, would, she just did not have an aggressive bone in her body. You know, just a wonderful dog.
0: She was a good dog. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you just want to be thoughtful, guys. If you're seeing the positive wave and you're seeing the results that these trainers are putting out and you're saying, oh my God, that's the biggest load of crap I've ever seen. I understand that you might be coming from that standpoint. I get it. But it is a long journey to be, um, a, a positive trainer who can create reliable results. Let's put it that way. And it's a long journey to find clients who also can follow through with that, those protocols. I had many pet dog clients well, hard, over the um, years. it's hard to get
1: people to follow protocols on either that's side. That's true.
0: That's true. But yeah. to actually commit to that <clears throat> and say, okay, I'm not going to allow my dog to do this and everything else. And I do have some clients that are very successful that either have their dog on a front attach harness, or they had a gentle leader at one point, or they just walk around in a flat collar. And they're very nice dogs, and they have very full lives with their dogs. But most people aren't willing to put in the legwork to make that happen. And that's okay if that's you, and you're not cutting corners. You just need a dog that you can live with and that your family can live with, and that actually responds to you and listens to you and doesn't make more str- life more stressful than it already is. And The extremes of the positive—you were even finding um, that nail video the other day. You were mentioning.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was going to such an extreme with the um, hands-off approach to dog training that they were—I saw a class where they were using a scratch board, like a a small piece of plywood with sandpaper on it, and getting the dog to start scratching at it as a way of trimming their nails. And you need to teach the dog to scratch the front, and then you need to teach the dog how to scratch with the back paws on the thing, and. You know it's a big production and it's one of those things that i scoured the internet before i commented on this in another uh, post that i had put uh, i went on youtube and i started looking for dogs that do this behavior and i was only able to find two videos where the dogs were it was like their first session which is kind of typical where the first session everything looks good you're starting from zero if you open a business and you do $100 worth of business in the first week, that was a very successful week. It's what's happened a year from now. How How is it progressing? And with this uh, scratch pad stuff, you know, the dog, yeah, it was starting to show some behavior. It was doing it. But then you never see it finished. It's like you go to a class, you do this for a few weeks or, you know, a few sessions. But how many people have dogs now that actually can trim their nails in a fairly reasonable time frame by doing the scratching of the front and the back pads. And it's to me, it just doesn't seem to make sense when you can just teach a dog, it's basic animal husbandry, to trim their nails with a nail clipper. You know, you bring them to the vet, if you don't want to do it yourself, you bring them to the vet and they clip their nails, you know. So there's all these workarounds, but these methods are the way that they train zoo animals. They train zoo animals this way because the animal will kill you. You know, you either have to shoot it with a tranquilizer gun, which is dangerous because they could have a heart attack, they could have a physical problem from this anesthetic, or you do some shaping behavior training and you got plenty of time because you can't go in the cage anyway. So you take your time and you teach this animal to do all kinds of really cool behaviors like uh, being able to, I saw a cheetah having blood drawn from its neck where the cheetah is just pushing its neck up against a chain link fence while the woman is drawing blood off of it, all done through shaping behavior, which is awesome. But they didn't have any alternative to that. The alternative is they'd have to put the the cheetah to sleep just to draw blood, which is very extreme and harsh on the, the cheetah's body. So taking those type of things and now transferring it to dog training, I think, is a little bit ridiculous.
0: Yeah, and this isn't even balanced training. We're not saying put a pinch collar on the dog to clip its mint nails. This is just basic handling the dog and we're just more and more and more and more hands off. We read something this week that said, you know, all dogs pull. It's no big deal. Don't worry about it as long as the dog isn't aggressive towards, you know, humans or other animals. Yeah, just it's just put fine. in a nose work It's class. no big deal. And yes, that's true that all dogs do pull for the most part at this point, but Then someone, you know, dislocates their shoulder. Then the dog gets loose and runs across the street. Then it's an issue. So like, where, where is our baseline here? Like, what are we going to be expecting of dogs and owners as a baseline? And if you're getting a ton of heat about looking into balanced training or something else, don't internalize that. Don't make that your own thing. We, I have a, we have a Skype consult with, um, a guy I went to college with and his wife this weekend and their trainer said, Hey, you're doing everything possible um, you're do- implementing everything perfectly, but your dog isn't responding. So I'm going to have to let you go as a client. That was the first time we've heard of like a client being fired. And I don't know if they got a refund for their last class or what. But so often these positive trainers, we hear, oh, I tried to call her back, but she was too busy. No dog trainer is too busy, you guys, that they're working from 7 a.m. to 10 p.m. every single day with different clients and they can't fit you if in. If they
1: are, they should raise their price. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that gets into oh, a little I just more want to six say six-figure thing, sales.
1: Excuse me one sec. About You know, we're talking about these pinch collars, knee collars. And all this stuff and this, these aversive tools, um, the more you work with your dog, the less uh, corrections will need to be implemented because you're actually training your dog. They're enjoying the process. They're working with you. They're having a good time. You guys are doing things together. Uh, you need to use more aversives when you don't really want to train your dog. You just want to control your dog. That's when people get into, oh, you know, you take your dog out for a hike once every two or three weeks and you don't want the dog to... They want the dog to come back, so you put the e-collar on them and you have to hammer them to get them to come back to you. And they do it because they were trained to do it. But if you worked with your dog on a regular basis, you don't need to be making all these corrections all the time because they understand the relationship. And once you get that relationship the way it should be, you really there should be very little, just like a kid that's been raised uh, to respect their parents, there isn't a lot of need for punishing them if you raise them in a... Mature way.
0: Yeah. And we get it. People have a hard time using these tools. You're preaching to the choir. This was the origin of canine healing. We see it all the time. They don't want to push the button, but the dog, oh, its ears went back. Like we understand that society has a hard time with these things. And that's why we under, and we also understand that training has a lot of techniques. So we said, fine, let's go behavior management route. Let's just get people and dogs living harmoniously together so they at least can coexist without a lot of stress. Whatever your path is, that's your own choice, but don't let anyone else guide that path for you. That is not fair. That is like saying, you know, no, your kid shouldn't go to this school. No, you shouldn't go follow that method with your, um, sales training, whatever it is, don't let someone else guide your path. You figure out what works for you and what works for your dog and what you can live with because the alternative half the time is bringing your dog to a shelter or putting them to sleep yourself. And nobody wants to do that. So consider all of your options. If you hear positive training is complete BS, I understand why you're hearing that, but it's not. It does work. There are some trainers out there. I would say I know about six people who can raise dogs really well from puppies to adulthood and they have great results with their dogs and everything else, but they are training every single day. They are training every single scenario. They are setting every single thing up. So their dog is absolutely amazing in all instances.
1: Oh, I would say every, every competitive dog person I know does that. It's a lot more than six.
0: I'm saying positive. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 There's balanced training. A lot more people have a lot better results, but purely positive people, I would say I respect six trainers worldwide. That I would say, hey, follow their stuff, do their stuff, everything else. When the puppy's eight weeks old, most of the time you just wanna let it play with the kids. You're not gonna put in, you know, eight to 10 training sessions a day and control every aspect of its life for a year, year and a half. If you are, totally fine. You can email us at studio at the quirky dog.com and I can give you some names of people. But otherwise, if you're going the balanced trainer route, go it. Like, do it. You own it, do it. A lot of great balance trainers out there, and a lot of balanced trainers. That are really good people and really care about the dogs and just want to see you and your family live without all this. BS, because it is. The dogs are just unruly at this point. And it's stressful for the kids. It's stressful for the parents. It's stressful on the wallet. It's stressful to go to the vet, all of this stuff. So well, you guys do what works for you. Yeah,
1: and one of the reasons that the balance training is, is more popular and I think more needed is because people typically don't get into training until after there's behavioral problems. So at that point now, the dog is already eight months to a year old. You've missed all that beautiful you know, foundational time where you could have been doing a lot of positive stuff and not having to implement a lot of you know, aversive techniques. But now it's like, you know, the the horse is already out of the barn. You need to get the dog reeled in, you know?
0: Yeah. So um, if you guys have any questions about any of this stuff, feel free to comment um, on the podcast below or shoot us an email at studio at the quirky dog.com. And we're willing to talk to you about this because we know more about this than I'd say 85% of people out there doing the training. We've seen all sides of everything and we support you, whatever you decide for you and your dog and your family. And in the meantime, what are they going to do? Keep Uh, it quirky. uh. Scott's forgetting the pig. This 2020 thing, I got to get him going. Next week, guys, we are going to talk about handling dog reactivity. And we will see you then. Thanks so much. Peace. The views and opinions expressed by the hosts, guests, or callers of this program do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe, the United Podcast Network, its partners or affiliates.